0: Welcome to the Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. Uh, And this is another long overdue episode in the series His and History, where we pick up from when Jake was in hospital, and I kept getting all the details wrong because my memory sucks. One of the things I do remember from sort of the early ages of the kids was I actually... One of my closest friends had twins about four months before uh, our boys were born. Um, So she was on maternity leave. I was only really working sort of four days a week with lots of mornings off. And so we'd catch up for lunches and breakfasts and stuff. So she'd have her twins and I'd have my twins. And we're both Vietnamese. So of course, you know, everyone out there looks at two Vietnamese people, one male, one female, and assumes we're one big family and was like aghast at the fact that we had four children all looking of you know infant age so we've frequently got people marveling at how amazing we must be and how how hard it must have been we have to sometimes we clarify and say no we're actually two separate people we just happened to both have twins and other times we go yeah we're gonna own that yeah we, we, we are amazing thank you thank you yeah four kids really
1: hard so you pretend to have four kids? Did yeah,
0: you? it was awesome. What, what was the point in like trying to explain it? it was so exhausting. It's like, yeah, cool. Never going to see you again. Just assume we have four children. It's fine. It's yeah,
1: fine. I, I think the sort of mirror of that is when we would go out and people would presume we were taking the kids out to give our wives a break. Yeah, yeah. Dad, Dad's day out was something that yeah. we heard a lot, which was fine. (laughs) And also, you're not going to stop every person who, like, says it as they pass you in the street and explain the situation to them.
0: Yeah, that's right. Sometimes it's just not worth it. And really, they they didn't mean any offence by it. They're just kind of commenting. And so you you let it go. Because as... presumptuous as it may be it wasn't malicious or anything and you know it is one of those ridiculous gender inequalities where men who spend time with their children are seen as these marvelous creatures and women who spend time with their children are seen as default like it's just a little bit crazy
1: yes and women who aren't spending time with their children are seen as neglectful people <laughs>
0: yeah Anyway, so yeah, I, I do remember the times we went out, because I think, for particularly in the first six months, um, Jake and Matt were really good sleepers, so we had these capsules that detached from the car seats, and I'd just kind of wander in, I'd have my two big nappy bags full of, you know, nappies and formula and bottles and thermoses full of hot water, and i just, you know, this pack animal just walking into a restaurant, but... We could do that. Like, I could just go into a cafe and just plop them down and not have to worry about the place being too noisy or being too, like, with smells or anything. It's just like, they were just there. When they woke up, I fed them. Once they were fed, they were back to sleep. So it's, uh, quite, from from a going-out point of view, the first six months or so,
1: I thought it was particularly convenient. Yes. like uh, Other than the fact that their luggage was bigger than them, then, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was probably quite convenient. We may also have been slightly overprepared. I don't know. Like, you know, we had a a bag that was just bottles. Like, Mm. having enough bottles for two babies basically takes up a nappy bag. And having enough nappies for two babies and, like, a portable change thing and wipes and stuff takes up another bag. So I I don't think we were going excessive. Mm. I think it's just that, yeah, normally a nappy bag would be half bottles and half nappies for a single baby, but we just ended up with the nappy nappy bag and the bottles nappy bag. Mm. And there were slightly different shades of I like khaki. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. One In a very was, manly way. One was one was brown. One was like
0: military khaki. Which, yes, I I appreciated that those things existed. That they all weren't, you know, pink with flowers or bunnies or other adorable creatures. Not that I should have cared, but this but I did care. So, anyway, what what was your most distinct memory of those first few months?
1: So, my most distinct memory of the first two months was probably the feeding schedule. Mm. Like I like trying to coordinate feeding two children because you know at that stage they des- they just you know eat poop and sleep mm. but when they were both on hourly feeds um or oh no i think two hourly feeds but like s- offset by 1 hour from each other mm. overnight it would be 45 minutes of feeding one baby then like a 15 minute power nap before 45 minutes of feeding the other baby <laughs> Um, and that was, yeah, the entire night. But I was lucky in the fact that you were working some interesting hours.
0: Yeah, I was doing like two mornings and two afternoons, like four days a week, like four days a week, Mm. but it was sort of offset. So I'd have like work evening, morning, morning, evening, which meant that sort of two, you know, two days out of my work week, I didn't have to get up straight away so I could sleep in a little bit before I had to go to work, which means that I could do the night shift.
1: Yeah. So we basically settled into a four, me doing four nights, you doing three nights, which is very balanced for, from what I've heard from other people. Mm. Uh, obviously with breastfeeding, you can't be that balanced. Indeed. Um, unless you pump. But then, yeah, so I think it was a benefit we had. Um, and also, yeah, because you were doing this sort of strange work schedule because other people at your business had school-age kids, so they wanted to work during school hours, whereas you were making the most of spend time with the kids on those mornings off, like going with your friend. Mm. Uh So you didn't mind having sort of uneven hours. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, whenever you were home, the kids were home. It wasn't like they were going anywhere. mm So, yeah, it worked out quite well. And we also um, had your mum come and help for one morning. um, And my dad come and help for one morning, so... Well, no, didn't your dad only start coming after things went south? Yeah, things went south quickly.
0: (laughs) I can't can't even remember when that was. Like, I remember the moment it happened. I think it was, like,
1: two weeks or three weeks after um, we went, like, I guess... Got into our normal life.
0: Yeah, so this is after the surgery and after. After the the surgery and everything, where everyone was
1: all over the place. Yeah. But once we settled into the normal life, um, yeah, I think there was a point where you would work, like, you'd work late on, like, I think it was Tuesday and then Wednesday. It was late on
0: Monday and Thursday. I worked, it was Tuesday and Wednesday. I remember it was evening, morning, morning, evening. So it was Monday, evening, Tuesday, Wednesday, morning. So okay, yeah, easy. so
1: may, maybe it was, um, yeah, so there was a point where you would walk, work late one night and then work the morning of the next one.
0: Yeah, so that would be the Monday, Tuesday. Yeah,
1: so I can't remember which days of the week it was because it didn't really matter to me what days of the week. Like, Yeah, it all blurred. It all blurred. But yeah, so there was this point where, like, I, so I was kind of on duty for the evening and then the morning. And so it was a quite a long time that I was kind of without help because you were a, work, which is fine. And I think you came home from work after, you know, I'd sort of been on duty for 30 hours or something. And, like, I was standing in the nursery because we used to have the two cots sort of in the middle of the nursery uh, near each other. And the kids had both been crying. So I'd got this situation where I'd pick up one to stop it from crying. And once it was settled, I'd put it down and pick up the other one. So it would settle to settle. Um, and this just went on and on and on. Like, whichever one I wasn't holding would cry, and so I'd just take turns just so I only had one crying baby instead of two. And I don't even know why I had a pile of blankets on the ground. I think it was, the, from, from memory, the way you explained it to me as you were
0: melting down was because uh, it was the easiest way for you to have access to both of them near you. So rather than keeping them in the cots, I think you might have had, just set up like a... Makeshift bed
1: on the floor, so that's some notice. sort of nest. I'd, yeah, yeah, I'd formed a nest out of baby blankets. Yeah, and then I think they, I think they'd gone to sleep by the time you came home, and I might have just. Lay down on the nest rather than going. Away.
0: Yeah, so I, I I actually think it was night time when I came home because I remember it being dark because we used to have these this string of lanterns in the in the room that was like mm. a kind of like a nightlight thing so we could see what we were doing and I distinctly remember coming in it was dark in the room except for the nightlights and you were just lying on the floor in a ball crying.
1: Um, well, no, I think I was laying on a ball and then you said tough day and then I just cried because I couldn't talk. Oh, <laughs> so it was like. It was almost like this. Re- like I, yeah, I'd been so worked up um, that as soon as you spoke to me, I cried. Yeah, and then I went and sort of cried in the shower for a bit without talking.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it was it was basically at that very minute. Once you were in the shower, I called your dad <laughs> and I said. Look, because the thing about Grant's parents is that they're very um, independent and they have their own lives. They're still, you know, they were, I think they might have both been working at that time. They had their own lives. They had their own commitments. And uh, they kind of made it clear early on that they, they you know, they didn't really want to overcommit to having to do something on a regular mm-hmm. basis, which we understood, you know. Yeah. And, and, but the fact of the matter is, and I, I'm still, I'm still grateful to this day that we are lucky enough to have Pa- like parents of an age that could feasibly have looked after the kids, because there mm. are a lot of people who miss out on that. Whether it's because their parents are older, or if there are bad bad blood in the family, like there's lots of reasons. Or they why, live in a different state to their parents, right? So lots yeah. of reasons why sort of lack of access to that kind of presumed network of carers is is really it, it's such a luxury, and I'm really mm. grateful that that it was that way. So essentially, I called up uh, Grant's dad and said, "Look." I know I know this isn't this isn't what you wanted, but Grant's not coping. We really need someone to just come and give him a break, you know, while I'm at work or something. Are you willing to do it? And he stepped up, which yeah. was which was amazing. Uh, so yeah, so that's when he started coming around one, like half a day a week. And then my mum, who was very keen to be involved in the kids' lives because it'd been something she'd been waiting for and assumed she'd never get because I was gay. And an only child. And an only child. Um, she, uh, she was kids take any, any time she could get really. Yeah. Uh, but she committed to sort of one day a week because at that time she was still very much a workaholic. I mean, not that she isn't now, but Mm. even more so than she normally would be. Uh, yeah. And so that's, so that kind of created a nice little balance for, for all of us, I'd say. Yeah.
1: So like my dad would arrive at like nine o'clock in the morning after I'd been up and I'd sleep. Mm. Like Paul would have gone to work. I just had a couple of hours between Paul leaving, like, even though Paul had been asleep. So he'd go to work. Paul would leave and then my dad would come and then I'd just go back to bed Mm. and I'd have that sort of break in that sort of 30 hour period. Yeah.
0: At what point did we get um, the nanny? I can't remember how old the kids were when that happened. Was that much later?
1: Um, I can't remember. So the reason we got the nanny was because I, I got kind of worried about um, bathing the kids by myself when you were at work. Because mm. you are working the evenings. So we got the nanny so we'd have a second person to sort of just help. Like, ha- give me a break, but also help with that sort of especially around bath time to make sure that there wasn't kids sort of in a bath, not being supervised while their sibling was being taken out.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I also remember that choosing the process of choosing the nanny. So we used a website called find a babysitter or something. We yeah. just put it out there and you and I, before we, we'd started the interview, but we had actually discussed what we were looking for before we kind of gone into things, which made things a little bit, awkward, not during we were still very you know professional interviewer people but um but afterwards we had very different intents because there was a there was a kind of a broad range of applicants, a lot of them kind of on the younger side yeah um, and and one the one we ended up choosing she was very experienced she had an educational background she was she had kids of her own mm. she was just she was an amazing, an she amazing. Had special
1: needs kids not that we knew that that was an important thing at the time <laughs> yeah that's
0: right that's right, but no, she was she was fantastic and you know, when she wasn't doing anything, she would, like, clean up the house without us asking. And we 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 felt... Like, we we made sure that she was compensated appropriately. Yeah. Uh, but we never asked her to do that. Like, that was not the intent of ha- of hiring her when we did it. But I think going, going in, I just kind of thought, look, if all we really need is a second pair of eyes, so someone else to just watch and be there in case, I kind of thought this would be an opportunity to have a less give like give a less experienced caretaker the opportunity to have some experience so that way they can build references and um and get and get get some understanding and, and you know but whereas
1: you kind of wanted someone who was kind of already sick. Well no, I think I think we went into the situation probably thinking the same thing, that it was a pretty easy job and didn't require a lot of experience because it wasn't um like picking up kids from school or actually even being in the house alone. Mm. But what happened was we had an applicant who was very well qualified and I kind of went, well, if she wants the job, like I feel like, I feel like the job is easy, but if she wants it, I don't want to like turn her down because if everyone goes, oh, the job's too easy and turns her down, then the fact that she has that experience is almost punished. She's overqualified. Mm. Um, So my view changed during the process.
0: Uh, Okay. Fair enough.
1: Yeah. Like the others would have been fine, but I, yeah, I felt bad about the idea of rejecting someone for being too good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we ended up going with an overqualified person, but I thought it's her business if she wants the job.
0: Mm.
1: If she, if she's happy to, you know, do the job, then yeah, that's her business.
0: Yeah. Anyway, but she ended up being amazing and we, we, she, she stuck around for a number of years. Yeah. Um, Quite a few years. Yeah. I think we just, eventually we got to a point where, yeah, we just, we'd found a rhythm and we're handling Well, I think
1: or... once the kids were at kinder, yeah. like the rhythm, yeah, I think it probably would have been when the, when the kids were in kinder and you started working during the days and you were around, you know, during the evenings. Mm. Um, and obviously they were less likely to, you know, fall in the bath and not be noticed. Like they were capable of getting themselves out of danger in the bath. Yeah. Or talking. So yeah, it wasn't necessary anymore.
0: Mm. I think one of the other... I did that classic parent thing when the kids were growing up where basically I took a video of every possible thing I could. Like, our hard drive is full of, you know, minutes and minutes worth of just them sitting there doing something random. Like, I think I have a video of them lying down playing with one of those, like, mobile mats, you know, where they're meant to, like, smack against the toys and it makes noises and stuff. Um, Or a video of them sort of being... Uh, you know, head to toe, so, like, you know, foot to foot to head opposite of each other, lying next to each other, just kicking each other. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't malicious, because, you know, they were, like, a few months old. They didn't know what they were doing. They were just kind of mob- mobilising and stuff. But, you know, I, I, I took every possible photo I could, and I, I also, I remember watching this, remembering this video where, when they were starting to crawl, which was, what, about 9 months or 12 months? It was, it was late-ish, but it wasn't, was well, slightly delayed, which is Yeah, not I feel like
1: it was, uh, especially um, Matt, I think it was qu- quite close to his first birthday. So, I remember
0: the way to convince, I think it was Jake, to crawl was to bribe him. So, there was this little um, Fisher Price laptop. That just made noises when you pressed it, and I have I had this video um, in our little playroom that we'd set up of like my dad at one end of the room and, and just pressing buttons on the laptop, and then Jake looking at it and just like desperately trying to crawl. But it's the only thing that could convince him to do to move. Yeah, like, that laptop. Yeah. Any other toy just was not interested in it at all. Even us, like if it was just coming to us, could not be bothered. That laptop got him moving
1: every time. <laughs> it was so funny. So, yeah, I guess we should talk about what they were like as babies. Because I think people imagine that twins is just... They're the same. Whereas our twins were very different from each other. Like, even from the beginning. Um, So, Jake um, was very noisy and very distressed quite often. Which, uh, looking back, is probably a sign that, you know... Interesting things were going on. But I remember, like, it used to be, like, every time... We had a babysitter. Like at the end of the babysitting, they pretty much all say the same sentence, (laughs) which was, "Jake has a pair of lungs on him, doesn't he?" (laughs) I don't know where that term came from, but it's like this universal term (laughs) across age groups and genders of babysitters. Just, oh, (laughs) Jake's got a pair of lungs on him. It might also be a white people thing because I don't think
0: my parents or any of our Asian friends ever necessarily. No,
1: probably not our Asian friends. The one I'm thinking of, like one of your white friends said it. Yeah. But yeah, it's possibly... It's not an Asian thing. If you have to make it a race. <laughs> it always goes back to race. Obviously. <laughs> Whereas Matt was the opposite, which kind of made an interesting pattern. Um, where he was really quiet. Like, I remember... Like, my first memory of the boys when they were, like, in the operating theatre after their C-section was that Jake, Jake was crying and Matt was staring at me. And it basically continued on with that. Like, I used to refer... I was talking to my friends. They didn't really know the boys. Um, So to keep... To remind them of which baby I was talking about, I used to refer to Matt as the puddle baby. Mm. Because he'd just be on the floor. Like, there was a point where, like, his skull was, like, flattening on one side. Yeah, so the the term's called plagiocephaly. So, basically, he'd favoured
0: one side of of his head when it he was sleeping for so long that that side of the head, because the skull was still quite malleable, that side of the head was quite flat. Uh,
1: so, yeah, I spent a lot of time trying to encourage him to, like, look in the opposite direction. Like, that's all I wanted to do, like, just turn his head. So, we put, like, everything interesting on this other side to try to get him to turn his head... But he was just so casual and so laid back that I could not, like, I could not get him to turn his head for anything. He's just like, eh, I can't see it. What do I care? Which to this day is still fairly true. Which is still very, like, you know, the, these patterns have continued, and different times have been have turned to maladaptive behavior, as we'll probably get to. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so he was the puddle baby, and I remember one time. I went into the like the living room and I sat down and I started doing something. And then I realised he was on the floor. Like, I hadn't even noticed. Like, <laughs> like I'm like, oh, yeah, you're here. <laughs> and there was also um, the time when we flew. It was one of the times we flew. It was either about when there were six months or almost one year. We flew up to Sydney. Mm. Um, oh, no, Canberra. Would have, yeah, I think we flew to Canberra. Um, and Jake got quite distressed and Matt was quite casual and laid back. So there's a point where we're waiting for other people to get off the plane at the end of the flight um, because we knew there was no use in trying to collect all our bags and stuff. Um, and this, these two like middle-aged women came by and they're like, oh, you have two babies. We thought you just had one. Because <laughs> all they had heard for the entire hour was Jake and not a peep from us. <laughs> <laughs> so they hadn't even noticed Matt's existence. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and I, this has kind of become, you know, part of their personality. And as I said, sometimes maladaptive things have derived from this. Mm. But yeah, it was there from the start, I'd say. Mm. Um, so is there anything you want to talk about before um, we started trying to get out more? Like during that period where we were just living our everyday life before we started trying to do stuff.
0: I can't really remember. Like, all of it blurs together. This, I mean, you know... That's this okay. Is, it could just be a
1: funny story. This like, is it doesn't par- have
0: to be. Oh, no, I just... I always... I have these really distinct memories of the kids. Like, I remember um, Matt was obsessed with dummies. And, you know... Yes. I always, I always had... It. I, I know, every, you know, everyone's on a different scale when it comes to how they feel about dummies. But for us, it just... It... it it made them feel better and like it started with Jake when he was in hospital because when he was having his pyloric stenosis and couldn't eat, the the dummy was the only thing that that made him feel okay. And even that didn't work particularly well. And then we just started applying it to Matt and it worked. But he used to have like one in his mouth and one in each hand.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that, I think we taught him to go up the stairs by putting his dummies at the top of the stairs. (laughs) So I think we have all these videos of him like very carefully and, purposely going up the stairs just to get the dummies. Like the dummies where he's a version of that laptop toy. Like if you wanted him to go somewhere, you just had to put his dummy there and he'd be like, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get that dummy. <laughs> um, but talking of um, motor skills. So Jake was better at the gross motor. So he, he did all the gross motory things first, like crawling and walking, but he wouldn't stay still enough to balance. Hmm. Whereas Matt would, so to the point where like Matt couldn't like even like commando crawl around, but he could sit. Mm. And Jake could not keep keep his balance; he was just all over the place, waving his arms. So he could not sit, but he could like commando crawl. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So Jake had fine motor issues, and Matt had the gross motor. Well, I wouldn't say issues, but delay. Yeah. I, yeah, I think he. He didn't end up having any issues. Whereas Jake did kind of continue to have fine motor issues. Mm.
0: Yeah. I I, I think one of the things I also remember was how they used to climb the stairs or go down the stairs. So we, we live in a split little house. Uh, and obviously we put up the, the baby gates when they were really young, but as they were learning to crawl, we thought, okay, let's give them the opportunity. And I remember, or they always used to know how to go backwards. It was really quite amazing. They just, they, they would be there. They would turn around and it was like climbing into a pool. They just slowly, you know, lowered themselves I may have taught
1: them that. (laughs) Did you? (laughs) I I think I purposely taught them to climb stairs backwards Mm. as a safety precaution.
0: Yeah, there are some remarkable things that I I don't know how babies learn sometimes, except like, so, so night, um, night dryness was something that I, I to this day still don't understand. Like I, I can't explain it to parents. It's just sometimes it's just a complete mystery to me.
1: Well, um, Jake weaned himself off the dummy without any input from us.
0: That's true. Yeah. Jake just lost interest. Whereas Matt, it was a struggle. We had to, we had to forcibly remove them from his life. Yeah. Um, and I can't even remember whether we replaced it with anything. I think we just we just said, nope, it just doesn't exist anymore. You're getting less and less access. Because there used to be, we used to have this change table and at the bottom of the change table was where we kept all that stuff. So he knew where the dummies were kept. So he'd, you know, he'd, he'd go there and seek it out whenever he didn't have one in his hands.
1: So. Yeah. And the fact is, you know, as you said, Matt would have like three dummies and Jake would not use them. Like So Jake, we did nothing to get Jake to stop using dummies. He just did it himself. Mm. Yeah. And then later, um, Matt, became, yeah, night got night dryness without any input from us.
0: Yeah, whereas Jake, it took a while uh, before he got it. And again, don't even know what, what the trigger was. Don't even, like... Well, I, th- I think one
1: of the things about potty training twins um, is that if one of them is making progress, the other one kind of wants to make the progress. So I think um, there was a point where because Matt had developed night dryness, um, he didn't have to wear a nappy at night. And Jake did, and Jake didn't like the fact that he had to wear a nappy at night. So I think he taught himself, like sort of taught himself to be night dry, because he wanted to be like uh, Matt. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Potty training was a bit of a disaster. I think when did we tried at eighteen months, maybe? Uh, we had we tried multiple times, and it just we it, it didn't it didn't work the first few goes, which um, I think is pretty normal.
1: Well, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of the training. Um, so ending night feeds and potty training being the two that mainly come to mind. I did spend a lot of time waiting for signs, but I don't, they they never came. I do wonder if it is an autistic thing that they kind of just wanted to keep doing things exactly as they were. Mm. Um, whereas I think other kids are like, actually, I don't like the fact, like, I don't like how this feels anymore. Mm. Whereas I think, um, the boys... Maybe it was due to autism. We're just like, nope. I'll just keep doing this. I don't. I don't care that I'm waking up in the middle of the night. I don't care that I, you know, am using a nappy. I don't care at all. They're just so laid back. So in both cases, I kind of just had to pull the pin. Mm. Um, and uh, so with uh, night feeds. It was definitely me who pulled the thing. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, th- at that point, because at that point the kids were were waking up once a night
0: routinely, and would offer them the bottle, and they just wouldn't want it. They just they were just awake for the sake of being awake. Yeah. Um. I, I. like. I do. It's funny. I. I do have memories of those evenings because that's when I used to binge Grey's Anatomy. Uh, so I. I had it just on, on a roll. I'd be up all night and just because you were sleeping in the bedroom, we had the study which had a sofa bed, and I just watched just watch DVD after DVD of Grey's Anatomy. I don't remember what I saw. I just know it was there on the background. Uh, but then we kind of came to the conclusion that we we had it, it wasn't sustainable and it was frustrating to the kind of for the fact that the kids were just waking up for the sake of it.
1: Yes, and I think I did, like it got to a point where I was like, okay, I am ready to do this. Like because we got we got told by the maternal healthcare nurse, I think at twelve months that they shouldn't be doing it. But we were so tired, mm. um, and we we were not ready. We did not have. Yeah, we were not ready to do it. Um, So I think it took another six months for me to get ready to do it. You still weren't, but you luckily had me. Yes, indeed. Um, So I basically said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to train them. And all you need to do is stay in your bed and sleep. Mm. (laughs) That was it. So I moved into the study with the fold-out bed. So I I didn't even come in to sleep in the same room as you. Closed the door and said, you just have to stay in here and not give them a bottle. Um, and I think one of the, one of the good pieces of advice I got was when they're crying, don't try to sleep, do something else. Like, because if you try, if you try to sleep, then you'll get frustrated about the fact they're crying. If you do something else, like read a book or watch Grey's Anatomy or something while they're learning to self-soothe, then you won't be as frustrated. But I remember like the, after the first night of it, um, in the morning, you, (laughs) you said, at 5am, I was ready to give up on your behalf, but I controlled myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, and once I did it, it was quick. It was only a couple of nights. Really? I thought it was about a week and a half. I, thought I don't was... know. Maybe, maybe I just have really positive... Optimistic memories of it. I don't know. It seemed quick compared to what other people had told me when they'd done it earlier. I definitely oh, look. I definitely remember that it didn't take nearly as long as I thought it would. But I'm pretty sure it was about a week and a half. Okay, maybe it was a week and a half, and it yeah. just flew by because I was sleep deprived. Indeed. Yes. Um, and then potty training, the same thing. I just went. Okay, your nap, your nappies are gone. You're wearing underwear, and it was a messy process. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was quick. So they were ready. They were re- they were capable of potty training. They just had no desire to do so. Mm. So, and we did this. We basically potty trained them when they were going to go into kindergarten.
0: That's right. Yeah. Um, and
1: because they're born in July, they're actually some of the older kindergarten kids. And I and you know not all kids are potty trained by career or kinder, but I basically said, okay, I want I want them to be potty trained by kinder. So I started. Maybe two or three weeks before the start of the kinder year. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I got them potty trained in that time. And yeah, they're they're pretty good. There was very few accidents compared to other kids. Mm. Um, So they were ready. They just didn't want to change the status quo, which I do wonder is an autism thing.
0: Who knows I mean like look, I think it can be pretty normal for kids too like it's it's hard yeah. to, I think it's it's one of those hindsight kind of thing you, you start associating different presentations with that and like a, a number of parents who I have who I look after with, with kids with autism. Um, will say, I knew from the beginning. And I say, well, you you might have had some suspicion. Maybe you're a little bit anxious. Maybe you were just a bit worn out. But not every parent has the same thing. A lot of them will go, they were perfectly normal up until four years old. And then suddenly something snapped. And I'll be like, well, actually, if you look back on it, there are certain key signs that you might have just accepted and decided, yeah, this is normal baby behaviour. you know?
1: Yes. And I think um, with Matt, we could have fallen into that camp. Yeah. Because... He didn't have maladaptive autistic behaviours for quite until he was four and a half. Mm. Um, He had autistic behaviours, which we sort of knew both from just being educated in that area, but also from going through uh, Jake's diagnosis. Yeah. Um, But yeah, he wasn't he wasn't any having any maladaptive behaviours till four and a half. Mm. Um, So napping is actually another one that I kind of thought of while I was talking about this, where the kids didn't drop their nap until I made them drop their nap. Mm. uh, Which was when they're going to four-year-old kinder. (laughs) Because they were going to even to kinder for seven and a half hours. So I was like, okay, well, you're going to have to not nap on kinder day. So let's just drop the nap. Um, So yeah, I kind of just, I chose when they would do that. And it yeah, it didn't take as long as... Actually, I, I don't know if I've ever come across anyone else who had to train their kids out of naps.
0: Oh, I, I'm there. I'm sure Let's it happened. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, people
1: people talk about potty training, um, and sleep training. They don't talk much about nap training.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, so I don't I don't know how long it normally takes, but it didn't seem that hard once I actually just said, "Okay, you're not napping anymore."
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, so then I guess did you want to leave it there? I think so. That's I mean, it's, it's not the most natural of endpoints,
0: but I think that's probably... We're at the 30-minute mark, so let's not keep, uh, keep you guys hanging around for too long. You know, if you have some experiences that you feel are mutual between us, feel free to share it on our Facebook or Instagram uh, at The Atypical Rainbow. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, make sure you tell your friends. Find us on the ACAST website or wherever you get good podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll uh, try not to leave it too long till the next season in history. This one was a little bit more broadly, ooh, look, babies, but... Um, well, what is what is like to have twins. Yeah, yeah. But we'll, uh, you know, there may be something else, uh, a bit more unique about our experience down the track. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.